Welcome, friends and colleagues. I start off this particular podcast episode by thanking all those who shared feedback. Feedback is important when you try to master a new medium, and podcasting is a new medium for me. Some of the suggestions were very good, and uh, we will change the format based on them. Thank you so very much for providing this advice. First of all, the coming episodes will be shorter. They will last 15 to 20 minutes. They will follow a reproducible format. They will begin with clearly stating and introducing a problem, explain it, provide solutions, and summarize. We spoke uh, a great deal about methodology, and methodology will continue to be a part of this podcast, but I will separate extended explanations of methodology and philosophy uh, and uh, religious uh, components Uh, devotional uh, thoughts into separate podcast episodes. We will refer to them, but if we will want uh, to speak about them at length, we'll allow for it a a specific episode. What I mean is that, let's say I want to speak about the chiastic structure. There'll be an episode on chiastic structure. If I refer to it in a different episode, I will simply define and briefly explain. Uh, Because it will be shorter and we'll need to uh, still make headway, it will become a weekly, not a bi-weekly series. We'll try to say less and to explain more. With that, let's proceed. Uh, we were talking about light. Uh, it, it may be boring, uh, though enlightening, uh, uh, to continue speaking about light so much. But today I would like to pose a quandary, and from there make an important point about the structure of the entire first episode. So we spoke already about the light being created in the first day, but somehow the luminaries, the sun and the moon, not arriving till the fourth day. And and what does that mean? Some of the nature of this can be approached by first noting reading, I'd say, two parallel episodes. We will see something interesting. So let's read the first presentation of light in Genesis 1. 3, and it starts like this, uh, verse 3, and I'll read from the Eitzchayim Chumash translation. God said, there be light, and there was light. As we saw, this kind of construction is about something that's immediate, and immediate creations only happen in heaven. Verse 4, God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, first day. 
So if you just read this, you notice a few things. First of all, uh, day and night are connected to the light. And then there was evening and morning, presumably corresponding in some way to day and night. And uh, there, since the uh, light and the darkness were separated, it was now possible to have day and night. So that's what you would think. Another feature is that God saw that the light was good before he separated from darkness. Now that's strange. Uh, how do we have light that exists and, and not only exists independent of sun and the moon, but also independent of the separation of light and darkness. What does that mean? It's particularly strange and unusual because everywhere else, God does not call his creations good until the entire subcomponent of creation is finished. And every other day, he sees what he made on that day, and then he calls it good. And then there is day and there is night. So here, uh, it's not so. Here, light is good before it's separated from darkness and before the completion of the work of the first day. Let's read the parallel passage. This will be on um, the fourth day. God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate day from night. Comment. But wasn't they already separate from night, from the first day? Continuing, they shall serve as signs for the set times, the days and the years and they shall serve as lights in the expanse of the sky to shine upon the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to dominate the day, and the lesser light to dominate the night and the stars. So here light seems to be part of both day and night. It's part of the day as the sun, and it's a part of the night as the moon. And God set them in the expanse of the sky to shine upon the earth, to dominate the day and night, and to separate light from darkness. But I thought that was already done on the first day. We separated light from darkness on the first day. And here, following the same pattern of all the other days, <coughs> and God saw that this was good. And the, uh, the, the work of the day was finished, and there was evening, and there was morning, a fourth day. One way to understand it is to speak about the role of language. It's kind of like that uh, well-known Zen saying, if a tree falls in the forest and no one is there, does it make a sound? Can there be something without language, without words to describe it? Nachmanides, Rashbam, and Haskuni all understand that God called light a name, and that's what he did. That, that was basically what he did. That was what needed to be done. It had nothing to do with the physical feature of light. 
it was some kind of a spiritual light, like the light of discernment we talked about before, that was created in the first day. This was created in the first day, the name light. And then on the fourth day, it was attached to the sun and the moon. They became sources of light. So that's one way to resolve it. Another way to resolve it is to realize that the structure of the entire first chapter of Genesis is parallels. Uh, we seem to be presenting a number of items in two uh, places. Now, we had spoken about this previously. We might be able to see this as an example of uh, repetition. Uh, many passages in the Bible repeat themselves. For example, there are two stories of Eliezer, the servant of Abraham, finding the wife for Isaac. Two times. Two somewhat slightly, but different presentations. Sometimes the presentations are separated. The laws of the Hebrew slaves. Sometimes presentations are conjointed. The story of Korah uh, appears to have uh, two or even three stories running at the same time. The biblical critics make a lot of this as evidence of separate sources, but um, seen this way, it's just a literary technique. So could this be what's going on here? It might be. Let's look at some examples of parallelism in the first chapter. I am pretty convinced that parallelism in the first chapter is different from that technique of what I call stereoscopic vision, of presenting the same story in different ways. When, for example, uh, the entire history in the book of Exodus is presented in the beginning chapters of uh, Deuteronomy, we have stereoscopic vision. We see things from two perspectives, as the author saw it and as Moses saw it. Okay, that's very legitimate. That gives us perspective. But what's happening here in the first chapter is not the same. Uh, when I speak about parallelism, I have to point out that there are many approaches to this. There are many ways to exactly slice and dice. There is little doubt there is parallelism, but how exactly you present it may differ. Uh, Rashi presents it as alternating heaven and earth in the first verse. So on the first day, heavenly things were created, hence the light. On the second day, earthy things were, present, were created. And so they alternated until on the sixth day, both earthy and heavenly things were presented. I, I should clarify, Rashi hints to it, but the Midrash makes it very clear and very explicit. I will take the description in Leon Cassis' uh, uh, work on Genesis, the beginning of wisdom, uh, because it's the simplest hierarchy I had seen. There are others as well, but in keeping with our new approach, we will discuss that in a separate episode, uh, parallelism in general. So here, look, look at the days of creation. On page 31, he presents a table, table one. So on the first day, you have the creation of light. On the fourth day, you have the creation of lights, heavenly lights. Okay, we had seen that. On the second 
day you have creation of heaven, heaven, the separating space between waters below and waters above, and the fifth day you have fish and fowl, things that live below and things that live above. And the third day you have earth and what covers it, plants and fruits. And the sixth day you have land animals, including men, what fills it. So in other words, you create the space with its furniture, so to speak. And the third day and the sixth day you create animals and men who live in this space. Uh, that's an example of parallelism. As I said, there are other ways to divide this. Okay, so let's go back. Let's go back to our problem. And the first day, God created light. He called it good even before He separated from darkness. Uh, that is a creation of a concept of light. That light includes thinking, understanding, the light of discernment. It also includes what we see as physical light, but it's not about physical light. And the fourth day, he creates the luminaries. Now we are talking about physical light. Okay, so that that is a possible approach. Um, but I want to go back to the approach of the commentators. I mentioned that Nachmanides particularly and others uh, also see what happened on the first day as naming the light. It's sort of like when men named uh, animals, gave names to all the animals. It made them what they are. So what we he see here is what the Bible is trying to tell us. It's trying to teach us the concept of language making reality. Uh, or, at the very least, language represents reality. Without language, there's no reality. There's no meaning. Uh, I'd make a point here that uh, we are bred in science, so we understand, uh, for example, in zoology, how you classify animals. Linnaeus produced the first classification. We're still using it uh, of genus and species. We classify animals based on their appearance and certain of their organs and similarities of their structures. In the Talmud, though, in the end of the third chapter of Hulin, there is a discussion uh, about names of animals, and uh, the approach is based on language. Does this particular animal have an additional name? For example, if there's an ox, is this particular animal, a wild ox. If language separates it and calls it a component name, shame Levi, an associative uh, name, attached name, then we will treat it as a different species. You see this belief uh, in language as a means of understanding the world in all of ancient literature. It is, of course, the belief that we have now abandoned a good discussion of this can be found in Alison Calder's recent book uh, named Religion, Magic, and Science in Early Modern Europe and America. 
she clearly describes there on pages 14, 15, and 16 how uh, the opening of the world with discovery of America and uh, increased travel uh, had shown that people in different places see and understand things differently. Investigations into linguistics uh, have highlighted the temporary and changing nature of language, uh, leading to the idea that language is not a good tool, that it's artificial, that it doesn't really represent reality, and it's not really what the objects are about. Their name is really a choice. Uh, and that led to the idea of we make our own reality, which the idea has now in modern times taken over the world. Uh, we no longer really think that language is anything else than consensual. Um, there is a uh, disagreement in the Talmud. Uh, Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Shlakish in Nidarim, I think it's page 10, on whether languages added in Hebrew are just something that the people agreed to give names to particular things, but they don't in themselves mean anything uh, or not. It kind of foreshadows this issue. But we now live in the society where <clears throat> we make our own reality, and language is just an approximation and historically and culturally limited. Uh, the Bible doesn't have that perspective. The Bible clearly represents to us that naming something has something to do with its nature, and more, it has something to do with its being there. And this is what it's trying to tell us. What it tells us, not what it says, what it's trying to tell us, I believe here, is that light with all its greatness, all its advantages, all its utilities, all its absolute necessity, didn't exist until it had a name. And um, that is, I believe, the main teaching here. Now, it's not antiquated, because we're trying to understand what the Bible is teaching. Then we can assess it philosophically, and we can see how much of it we are able to accept in this day and age. Uh, my suggestion is that we accept all of it, that we go back to the roots and the sources, and that we be critical about the culture and not critical about our inheritance. However, that is, I think, the point. On the first day, God named, called, named light, or, in Hebrew, and then it was possible to call day and night. It was then possible to understand them as separate, even if they weren't physically separate yet. It was possible on that first day to recognize the concept of light versus darkness, night and day. And the fourth day, however, is when these things embodied themselves in actual light and darkness, in actual luminaries, and in actual day and night. Thank you very much for listening. May you have only the blessings.